0: foster care nation. Listen up.
1: up. We have some exciting news to share. We're going to offer up our first ever webinar. If you've ever been curious about what it takes to be a foster parent and help kids in hard places, join us on February 18th at 5 p.m. Central for our free no obligation webinar. We're going to share our hard-earned knowledge and experience with anyone who has ever wondered about helping kids from hard places. If you're interested, go to fostercarenation.com and sign up for our newsletter. This is where you can get the details and the links to join us so that you'll be able to ask any questions you have in the question and answer section. Now, I know what you're thinking, webinar, free, no obligation webinar. It sounds like there's a sales pitch at the end. I've listened to a lot of webinars, guys. I know what you're thinking. I don't have anything to sell you. I don't have anything to sell you. I promise. I don't have anything to sell you today, but what we are going to do is try and support you and help you join us in our mission to help kids. And if that's what you're interested in, come see us. I promise you, we're not selling anything today. We're just going to offer up our experience, our knowledge, and trying to help some people who are interested in helping kids. As you can tell in the background, I have some kids. They're here, they're noisy, and I'm not even going to try and quiet them down at this time, because I am not going to get that down there wound up out there, but you know what? They're happy. And that's what we're looking for. We're just trying to provide a safe place for kids, trying to help them through some of their traumas, some of their things, and make this world a better place. And if you want to join us on that mission, we welcome you to show up February 18th at 5 p.m. Central. Like I said, fostercarenation.com. Sign up for the newsletter, and that's where you'll have all the information come out. Thank you so much. foster care nation Nation. listen up up. this is
0: foster care and i'm I'm journey.
1: strength for the powerless courage for the fearful hope and healing for wounded hearts Today's topic is a serious one, and it needs to be talked out with kids, but I think you need to talk about it with your kids at the right time, in the right context, and at the right age. Our conversation today, it will acknowledge the existence of sex, sexual abuse, rape, molestation, pornography, and many other topics, so if you have little ears, this might be a great time to reach down and hit download, and then listen to it later offline when you don't have kids around. Or maybe slide in a set of earbuds so that you can have this conversation with him afterwards when you've had time to think it through yourself so when you're ready let's sit down let's talk about this hello welcome back to foster care and i'm parallel journey with jason and amanda and the loud kids in the background i don't know how loud they're coming through right now hopefully they're not going to kill everybody but this is a podcast about Foster kids and adoption, and a lot of stuff about kids. So, as you hear them try to murder each other in the background, just know that it's not actual murder today. They're just boys being boys. And sorry about the noise, but I can't duct tape them to the wall. Amanda won't let me. So, that's what we have to do. Today, we have guests here with us. We have Emily Goudreau. And Emily has a pretty interesting story. And she is a former Playboy photographer turned anti porn and sexual abuse advocate i think i said that right
0: yes you did
1: (laughs) (laughs) good how you doing today emily
0: i'm good the kids fighting in the background should actually be like recorded and put into your show in the editing it like adds so much authenticity and it just validates that you guys are the real deal so
1: (laughs) (laughs) well if you want to hear kids fighting i can make recordings
0: I love it. Super excited to be here, though.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad to have you on here. Okay, well, I wanted to kind of start at the beginning here because, like, I've met a lot of people in my life. I've done a few things, met some interesting folks, but I don't know that I've ever met anybody who started off their bio with former Playboy photographer. (laughs) So I've got to ask. Because, like, I've had a camera in my life and I've taken pictures. I've taken some good pictures, I think, if on our website, shameless plug, at fostercarenation.com. If you go there and look, like, I've got some cute kids and i got some good pictures of them right on the front page, you know. But I don't know that I ever even had the idea of of moving into the world of professional photography, let alone that leading into you working for Playboy. How did you get started in that world?
0: Oh, so... I've always been an artist, and I went to art school in Manchester in the UK, and I kind of came to the conclusion that if I was going to make money and travel the world, that photography was going to be my gateway, and it completely was. And I worked for Rachel Ray, I did some stuff for Bill Gates, tons of magazines, Um, I've been to 35 different countries. Photographed the world's largest snake migration in Winnipeg, just weird, just random weird stuff, you know, and in 2008, ad agencies, which is mostly, you know, it was kind of my bread and butter um, and magazines budgets went way down because nobody was advertising and because the marketing budget gets cut erst when there's economic decline so getting jobs was pretty slim. Then somebody gave me a call and was like, hey, we're going to fly you out to Albuquerque to do uh, a shoot with Playboy. Not, and, and like people, because I'm a female, people are like, oh, you were a model. No, 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 <laughs> no, 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 um, To do the, you know, to actually shoot with this videographer at this um, event. So it wasn't like I, pers- I definitely didn't pursue it. I love photographing people. Um, and that was kind of my MO in capturing events and kind of a journalistic style. So yeah, I was like, sweet, big name. I'm all about, you know, or I was all about collecting big na- names on my resume. And uh yeah, it was it was an event in Albuquerque. Um, and that was that was the last time I actually ever photographed. I went home after that event, and I was like, I'm done, like I can't. I can't be a photographer and have to take jobs like that, you know. So, um, I mean, I had I, I'll be I'll be honest with everybody, art school was crazier than Playboy. Really? <laughs> 100%. <laughs> I mean, it Playboy is really I mean, even though they were kind of the front runners for the pornography industry, it is tame, tame, tame compared to what we have now, you know, um, there, uh, even the people I worked with were very sound people, you know, from, from the perspective of a lot of the stuff that a lot of people who I've worked with in the industry, um, I don't have anything negative to say about the people that were working there. My personal experience was that I had, um, I just had a moment where I would I was like, I'm victimizing these women. I'm continuing the victimization of these women. And um, yeah, that's kind of that like put a lid on my photography. I, I never photographed again. I won't even take phone photos. <laughs> <laughs> I hate it. I hate taking photos now. Just done. I went home and I was like, I'm done forever.
1: Wow. Wow. Yeah. Now
0: hit the, that was the straw that broke the camel's back
1: what was the moment for you though? What, what made you say, I can't do this anymore? What was that like for you?
0: You know, um, I mean, maybe, maybe you feel this way, but a lot of commercial photographers come from a point where we like, we wanted to be a national geographic photographer or whatever. So we're literally out in nature taking pictures in the quiet. And then we end up standing on ladders with megaphones, you know, like yelling at people for these big scenes. Um, So a lot of us are naturally kind of introverted. Um, And when you're looking through a camera lens, you just zone all your sensory out completely. And you focus on, and a lot of, you know, I grew up hunting. So it's a lot like shooting where you're just like, you take a deep breath and you hold it and you just focus on what you're seeing, not what you're hearing, smelling, none of this other thing. you like, how is this going to translate in a one-dimensional image and only what people are going to see? And you're taking, I mean, at minimum, it's like a one-sixtieth of a second. And you're catching these fragments of people. And in those moments, you just catch you know what other people can't see because life is going so fast. And I just caught a moment with this woman and it was trauma. I just saw trauma. And I was like but you know you're here we're having fun this is like you're getting paid a lot of money you know what was that well and it took it took me back it completely like i just saw something deep a deeply wounded person worse than i had ever seen before and And you know, of course, like everything goes back to normal, everybody's talking, it was just like this flash of moment realization of like, holy crap, I'm I'm victimizing this person. And they don't want to like they they didn't they don't wanna be here. It was like a scared animal flash. So um I mean it's it's taken me a while to kind of figure out what exactly I saw but 90% of people who work in the sex industry have been sexually abused as kids and a lot of that you know there a lot of people say oh this is their choice and that's how I went into it I was like well they're, they they want to be there and they're making money and um but a choice was made for them 90% of these people a choice was made for them when they were children to set them on a trajectory where they view their body is not private as a public piece of property. This, their body is for everybody, not just for them. And it's not a protected asset. So um, yeah. And it's, you know, everybody thinks that it's, you know, that is actually what propelled me into doing the sex abuse prevention, but it's actually the thing that prevented me from getting into doing what I am now sooner. I was afraid that people would find out that I was a I worked for Playboy and a lot of the other work that I did that, you know, is does not fall in line with sexual abuse prevention and anti-pornography. So it's, I mean, it took years for me to realize that, oh, it actually gives me clout, you know, cause I've, I've seen it, I've been around it, you know? Um, so yeah, there's that.
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that Um I always talk about a dad's group that I'm in. Everybody knows about it. If you've listened to it for five minutes on our podcast, you'll hear me talk about it. One of the guys in there, several of the guys have talked about a uh, dealing with a pornography uh, addiction. And that's a big thing. If guys are actually open and vulnerable enough to talk about it. And one particular guy, even this morning on a call we had, he spoke to the fact that someone pointed out to him that if you turn on any sort of pornography video, and turn the sound off and watch what you're not seeing is ecstasy and smiles and happiness and good stuff what you see looks a whole lot like pain if you watch it with no sound
0: exactly yeah um yeah so it's the addiction piece is is really interesting and i'm curious I'm curious to see what happens you know after we do studies of you know what the how the lockdown has affected people in regards to this. I know alcohol has um I mean definitely been difficult for people um but being unable to just shake people's hands and have physical contact um I'm just I'm real curious how that's affected the spikes in the porn watching. Um but yeah, it's um They've it's, it's been proven that, uh, girls that are anybody who's sex trafficked, often they will shoot the videos of them first before their body is bruised and damaged or before they're kind of sold. So you're watching somebody being raped, you know, and you don't know if they're on drugs. You don't know if there's a gun behind the camera. Um, yeah, so that's, That's that part, that knowledge just completely shifted me. For a while I was like, eh, people watch pornography, whatever. And then I'm like, wait a second, is there a chance you could be watching somebody being raped, like authentically being raped? Like that's not just for show. And a lot of that, you look at it and you're like, oh my gosh, like this is awful. This is unbelievably terrible. You know, the stuff that you're seeing, even if you don't want to, it pops up or whatever. Um, yeah and the the amount um I think it's something like eighty percent of the videos online contain um physical violence against women, which just blows my mind because I'm like, how has sex become all about eighty percent of its violence that's that's unbelievable that that is the quantity of pornography that people are getting turned on to. And, you know, they're, they're producing it by the demand, right? If there's no demand for violent pornography, they, they wouldn't be creating it or they're cre- or they are creating violent pornography. Because if you were to behave that way in the, in the normal world with morals, you'd be arrested, hopefully, but you can get, you can find that in the porn world.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of scary, you know life imitates art art imitates life and all that good stuff and um I hesitate to to put too much of a label on art there but but yeah it's it's what people are there's a market, so somebody's going to fill the demand
0: yeah and it's it's there was one time um that i was I was doing work for this uh sex positive store and I was photographing their sex toys. It was, it was during the same period of time I went through this period of like, like odd education about this kind of stuff, which is sometimes you find yourself in places in the world and you're like, what is going on? You have like, how, like, why am I doing all this? Why is all this stuff coming to me? And then years later you're like, oh, now I know all this stuff, I can speak directly to it. But um, I was photographing their sex toys for their website. And, um, again, it was during a period of time where I'm like, "You got work, here we go. like I'll photograph whatever you want um and on their website, they had like it was like sex positive porn, and I was looking at it, and it was you know, but two clicks in, I saw some of the most violent pornography I've ever seen in my entire life, and I immediately called my godson, who was like the oldest teen in my life. That that I had the ability to speak to you in this way. And I said, please, if you see this stuff, I know you're seeing it. Do not fall for the fact that you are turned on when you see violent media. And later this is substantiated by studies, but I was like, they're mixing sexual arousal with violence to trick you into thinking that this is who you are, that this is what you want. I was like, don't fall for it. Years and years later. Um, Emily Nagowski, her in her book, um, Come As You Are wrote about sexual nonconcordance, where they did a study in Manchester where they had people watching pornography and put sensors on them to see what the blood flow to their um nether regions are. And then they had little sensors to say I'm aroused by this or not. So they showed them pornography and then they they would bleep it. And the overlap of their body responding to what they they thought was arousing was only 20% for women and 50% for men. So for guys, 50% of the time, their body could be like, oh, I'm getting turned on by this. And they're like, this is who I am. This is what I'm into. And now they're like going down a path of this is, this is where they're going, where their body's just like, nope, something sexual is happening. It's just something sexual that's happening. Not that you're into it, if that makes any sense. It's part of your autonomic nervous system. It's just responding to the environment, not who you are. And if kids don't understand this, I mean, it's so easy to just be like, I don't know who I am. I don't know if I'm gay or bi or into violence or choking or blood play or all the other crazy stuff that they can find like that Um, because they're like, that's how my body responded. And of course with men, and or I mean men and women, this happens to women obviously as well, um, it just gets really confusing. And then erectile dysfunction happens because of excessive porn watching, and then they don't get turned on by non-novelty sex. Sorry, I've had a lot of coffee, so I'm like jabbing away here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> coffee. Just give me the
0: signal, be like, and shut up, Emily. Like,
1: <laughs> no, coffee right here. I have got it's the nectar <laughs> of the gods. I'm not gonna get Mind mad about lining. that ever. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and we wanted to have you on here because uh, you know, foster care is is and adoption is is a big part of our well, it's our main goal here. It's our mission, it's what we talk about. And I don't know all the numbers. I don't know if anybody actually has numbers. I've read some in the past that were all really, really scary. The number of kids in the foster care system or kids who've been through the adoption system who have been sex trafficked is a ridiculously high percentage in our world. And I look at it and just think, man, oh, man, if that is such a high percentage, that means that how many of the kids that end up coming through our homes as foster parents have had some experience like this in the past, Mm -hmm. you know, and what can we expect to see from them? How can we help them? You know, what what can I do with a kid who has maybe experienced some sexual trauma? I have seen kids as young as dang near infants who've been sexually abused, Mm -hmm. which is crazy to have to say, but it's true. And if it's true, we need to deal with it and we need to be prepared to be able to deal with this stuff as foster parents, as adoptive parents, as a person who maybe sits in church beside a kid who you might see a red flag as the, a neighbor, these these situations are happening. What can we do? What do we need to watch out for? is there a way that we can help them navigate this this ridiculous structure that's been put around the porn industry and then sold to all of Americans? And well, not just Americans, obviously, right? Because, um, yeah, you know, totally. I'm, I'm here in the middle of America. I make that assumption. Everybody else knows my world, right? But it's, you're right. It's worldwide. Our entire world is facing this. So what what can we do as far as dealing with or helping other helping kids especially or even adults that we know who went through it as a kid to deal with the fact that they may have been trafficked for the specific use of porn.
0: So I was thinking about this before, and I was jotting down my exactly what I wanted to say. And um...
1: Hey there, Foster Care Nation. We'd like to take a quick minute to step out of the podcast here and ask you guys for a little bit of support. If you could share an episode with people, friends, in a group, with family, Anywhere where there's somebody who would like to hear this. Also, if you'd like to join us and support our mission, a couple dollars a month would be really helpful. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. Now back to the show.
0: The number one thing that I think people should, especially since we're talking to foster care providers, um, I don't know if that's the right way to say foster parents, is If you suspect that your one of your kids that you're bringing in has been sexually abused, which is again, there's a pretty pretty high chance, um, you need to set up your house in the right way, Um, and the number one thing you need to do is you need to lock down your devices. You need to, especially if if you've got kids over the age of twelve, they can they can get past a lot of stuff, but media. What kind of media in regards to magazines? Do you have coming into the house? You know, a lot of women's glossy magazines are very questionable. They're very sexual, um, which is fine for adults. It's great, whatever. But to kids, and specifically to kids who have been sexually abused, they're very sensitive to any images that could trigger sexual thoughts, um, even even um, affectionate. You know, it's just like, um, I don't know what you would say, but just like a couple kissing, you know, it doesn't even have to be like a sexual thing might be triggering for them. So make sure you, what you have around the house is just really safe for them Um so that's the phones. There's uh, devices like Circle and various other things that you can shut the devices down, um, especially at night. No, no screen. I mean, the kids shouldn't have smartphones unless you're totally okay with them having unfiltered access to the, the internet. There's a Gab phone. Uh, Gab, I think it's a G-A-B-B wireless. I think that's what it is, a network. Is great. It looks like a smartphone. They can text, take pictures, but they can't send pictures, they can't receive pictures, and they can't get on the internet. So that's a really great one if you need to keep in contact with your kids. Um, Another thing that I would be the, the biggest one of the biggest things that I was thinking about with this is the fact that most people already have their own kids in the home, right? And so you're bringing a child in that has been sexually abused, has had these like really serious life experiences. And you need to be able to protect the other kids because, you know, like we were talking about for the normalcy biases is is off um, because their ability to understand what appropriate sexual behavior is, uh, is going to be different than hopefully your kids are. So, you know, there's stories of, uh, I mean, one specific story, a girl was uh, going over To dad's house and they had one bedroom. So she'd have to switch one person with one night she'd sleep on the couch. Then her brother, you know, they'd switch times. Her brother would sleep in the room with a locked door. And she was put, you know, she's putting up this huge fit that she wanted to sleep in the bedroom with a locked door or just in the bedroom. And they thought that she was just being selfish when what was happening is her brother was going in and sexually abusing her. when she was on the couch, but if she had the lock on her door, the brother couldn't get in. So if it's appropriate, allow kids to be able to lock themselves in the bedroom. Again, that comes, there's a caveat, you know, it's having kids, having the ability to lock their doors um, can create a whole host of problems as well. Um, And then another thing is um, there are devices that allow you, you're notified when kids get out of bed. So I know that the setup and a lot of stuff happens at night. Um, depending on what your setup is, if the kids, if you're worried about the kid getting up in the middle of the night and doing things, um, you can have it where there's like a little bit of a bell or something that alarms you when somebody gets out of bed. So just just some weird stuff like that where you're like just taking hyper precaution um, to protect the other kids as well as them, right? Um, So we got the – do you guys have any questions or any thoughts around that?
1: Well, the bed alarm sounds a little bit extreme, but – after actually, I believe the episode just aired this last weekend it's about um it's about a young girl who had a reactive attachment disorder. I don't know if you're familiar with it or not, but reactive attachment okay, disorder yeah. on the far end of the spectrum can be can be kind of scary, and this particular girl was on the far end of the spectrum, and the mom told us you know that she would get up at night and wander the house and one night she tried to set the house on fire yeah. Yeah, wow. tried to burn the house down with everybody in it. So where it may sound a little bit extreme, I I can see that that there are, there are those moments where it's needed.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I the the one thing about sexual abuse is you, uh, it's a one step off a hundred foot cliff, you know, and it's the one little incident, and you just you you with having a pack of kids in the house, like how how can you have all eyes at all times? So we have that. Um, and again, it's like as, as far as you wanna take it. Then the other thing is really setting up your uh, body safety rules for the kids. So this is nobody touches anything under the swimsuit. Nobody shows me private parts, their private parts. Um, I don't show my private parts to other people because, you know, there might not be any touching, but showing. Um, I don't allow anybody to take pictures of my private parts. I don't allow anybody to show me pictures of private parts. So those are kind of updated and your private parts, um, penis, vulva, rectum, and your mouth. Those are all private. So, sticking things in somebody's mouth is not okay. You know, just kind of in general, I think that's a good social rule, anyways. Um, but yeah, just making, um, making sure all the kids understand those rules. Those are house rules, using the anatomically correct names. You know, we've been hearing that for a while to make sure kids can like really communicate exactly what's going on. Um,
1: yeah, that's really um, yeah, that's really important. That's really important. We talked with, um... A young girl, Janelle, and um, Janelle's case involves some sexual abuse in her home. And according to her, uh, her uh, adoptive mother, when she was telling the story, the perpetrator more or less got off of any charges because she had not been taught to use real names, and so she would use uh. you know the little cutesy names. And cutesy names don't fly very well in court, and so he got away with it that's why Uh, we have been pretty, pretty hardcore with that. You know, I have a five-year-old who has no problem telling you stories about his (laughs) penis. (laughs)
0: That's what I'm like, okay, here's the deal. It's going to backfire a little bit and you just got to be cool with it. And my daughter yelled vagina at the Thanksgiving table with my great-grandmother. I mean, it was like of all places, (laughs) right? And, you know, she did it to get an effect. She knew what she was doing. And I was like, oh my gosh. But, you know, and this is another, this is another great story. And this is when I realized the power of this. Um, my daughter was over at my at grandma's house and she, you know, her pants were hanging low. She was little. She was just kind of like scooting around on the couch. And my, my mom just got her finger in like the crack of her pants and pulled her pants. I mean, nothing. I mean, it's just like what you do when kids are little and you just kind of pull it and uh, my daughter turned around and she said get your finger out of my rectum and i was like whoa <laughs> whoa you know i mean everybody just like the words are powerful right. you know and she she had enough autonomy to like tell grandma don't touch my rectum you know and it's like i that was the moment where i was like that is very powerful everybody in the room just like boom this kid is in control of Like she said it very straight, like, don't touch my body that way, right? you know, by just using, like I take your finger out of my pants or away from my bum or like whatever, it just wouldn't have had the same effect as rectum, like set everybody straight. So it's, it's definitely powerful. Um, and then the other thing we've got their body safety rules, and then we have our privacy rules. So what, what is considered private in the house? If somebody has the door closed to the bathroom or, you know, there's any of that kind of stuff, um, just kind of making sure that everybody knows, I mean, it's part of the body safety rules, but rooms are private. Clothing is private, you know, tooth toothpaste, toothbrushes are private, you know, stuff like that to where there's just a clear set of how they, um, behave in the house. I have a bunch more.
1: Are you ready? (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to ask, um, you know, what age do you start putting these things in place with your children?
0: Like day, day one. And the reason, the reason I say day one is, you know, uh, of course you've got foster kids coming in at all ages, but you know, say you have a newborn, um, working on when you are changing the diaper. There was, gosh, I can't remember the name of the gal, but she was on TV and she was like, you need to ask permission when you're changing baby's diapers or whatever. And she got shut down by the media. It was this big thing. And she wasn't totally wrong on it. They're like, how is a baby or how's a toddler going to like, yes, you have permission to change my diaper. Like that's just, you got to do what you got to do. But I want everybody from day one using anatomically correct words, because it is awkward. It is awkward. It's weird. We've all got our own like funky little shame things that go on. And you'll notice you'd be like, um, for me, I, my daughter would be in the bath. I'm trying to teach her. I'm like, wash your vulva and your rectum. And I had to force myself to say it because I was like, I want her to be able to clean herself you know, grandma doesn't need to clean or caregivers don't have to clean her. She's got full control over taking a bath by herself without anybody touching her. And um, it's hard to overcome some of it. We've all got these triggers. Like a weird trigger for me is my daughter, like was, was breastfeeding her baby. I don't know why, I have no idea why it triggered me. I just was like, it made me feel extremely uncomfortable I just had to walk away. I'm like, Emily, what is going on? Like, I didn't even know that that would, it doesn't, in my head, it doesn't make sense that that would be weird for me, but it was really weird for me to have her acting like she was breastfeeding her baby in the bathtub. We've all got stuff. We don't know where it's from. We don't know, you know how our body has taken on past shame or trauma or anything like that. So if you practice from day one, none of that trauma is going to be transferred onto your kids, if that makes any sense. So just right, right out of the bat, you start it. And the consent stuff as well is a great. That should be talked about until boys get married, girls get married. <laughs> that needs to be a regular conversation about consent. And okay, so here's another one with the kids. Um, tickling and roughhousing. So if you have a child who has been sexually abused, this could be very traumatic for them. A lot of times tickling, it's difficult to even say stop. That's the problem with, you know, it, my daughter loves to be tickled. That's like her love language is being tickled and roughhoused. But for some kids, it's paralyzing. They, they get tickled so hard they can't even say anything. And it, it's very traumatic for them. And it could also be very stimulating over if it's too physical of rough housing. So just trying to keep that to a little bit of a minimum with the kids that have been sexually abused tickling. It's, I, I mean, if you, if you could put a, like as soon as somebody says, says stop or maybe not even like the hard tickle or just kind of like keep the tickling out until you have a a vibe for, the kid how the kids respond to stuff it's so hard because that's part of childhood is being tickled until you pee your pants or something like that you know but when when there's trauma (laughs) there it's just a completely different deal you know yeah getting noogies and like you know getting rug burns from wrestling on the couch and taking it too far and whatever like that's all part of like understanding physics and human boundaries and everything like that but when you have kids with serious trauma, physical trauma and abuse. It's um you got to tread lightly on that stuff.
1: I recently saw a post on social media by a guy who had mentioned that he he thought that you should ask permission before you tickle a kid. And I thought, you know, I got a couple of kids, you know that that I know their stories, right? I know their yeah. story well enough. We well, one has been with us mostly since his birth, and the other one has been with us since basically birth, I think 2 weeks old. I know their story and I mean, when they walk in, you can tell sometimes they're just looking for that attention. You reach over and grab their belly or whatever and and they'll say stop or no, but then they come back and I'm like, I, I don't get it, right? Like my first reaction was to kind of dismiss his post and say, that's, nah, I don't get it. And the more I thought about it, the more I realized that, man, if you don't have that connection, especially if mm-hmm. you don't know when they're just looking for attention they're looking for some some affection they're they're you know they're they're pestering you to pasture them and, and that's just part of the the normal thing and it's not it's not something that could be taken wrong do their background that's one thing but if you don't know all those pieces if this is your niece right. if this is your nephew you don't know what's going on with all of his that that nephew's other uncles or the kid at school you, you don't you don't know his whole backstory very well and yeah. you can really step into some dangerous territory and i think you explained that really well because uh, man it's it's just it's a minefield if you're not if you're not mindful of it
0: right and it's also if you think about and i'm i'm totally with you on it where it's just like do i ask my daughter
1: Hey there, Foster Care Nation. If you'd like to find yourself in a group with like-minded people, head over to Facebook, and you can find us at facebook.com groups slash We've got a group over there where we talk about foster care, we talk about adoption, and we talk about all the things related. If your podcast player allows it, you can also reach down and hit that subscribe button so you get notified every week when we put up uploads. Every Tuesday, a new episode comes out. We'd love to see you next week. Now back to the show.
0: To a tickler. No, I, I, I've never, I've never done that. But at the same time, I would want her to come to me and be like, yeah, this person was tickling me and they didn't ask, you know, or, you know, cause it is a really like personal, you're like stimulating them until they're laughing. Um, and she says, no, when we stop, but it's, um, yeah it's such it's such a fine line, isn't it? It's such a fine line of consent, but you know the biggest thing is if they say no, you stop house rule you say no, they stop. everybody stops, even if it's just you know they're like no, no, no' and you know they still well that's that's okay. they know you stop, and it's odd for them, and it's uncomfortable if somebody doesn't stop, and that's a red flag for them that this person didn't respect their nose. And they can come to you and say, yeah, he was tickling and I told him to stop and he didn't stop. And you're like, good, good warning. You know, that person doesn't make you feel comfortable. Let's, let's keep our eyes out.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It just, because well, you mentioned something earlier and it's one of those things that I, I don't think we talk about much, but transferring trauma, you know, transferring our trauma, our shame, our guilt from our childhood onto our kids is it's unconscious it it just happens. Oh yeah. And being able to to give your kids that power by peeling back some of those layers of of the the filters that you live your life through and just going, "Hey, here here's some safe boundaries for you. Here's some ways to talk about things. Here's some I I want to give you all these pieces that that I didn't have at that age and I create I have all these these belief systems in my head about this and I'm going to try not to give that to my kids."
0: Yeah. And it's, you know, it's amazing. And I'm sure you guys have had a similar experiences where stuff came up for me. Stuff stuff started coming up for me when I was pregnant. And I was like, whoa, you know, remembering things differently. And it's just, you don't know entirely what your traumas are around childhood till you have kids. And then you're like, oh, 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 there's that, there's that, there's that, you know. But I tell people they're, kids, kids, humans are sexual beings, and it's very easy to see kids acting in a sexual way and go completely off the deep end and freak out and be like, "Oh my gosh!" Especially, especially if they're yours, you know, because um, you have these, you have this massive amount of fear of they're going to run away enjoying the sex circus when they get older or something like that because of whatever behavior they were doing, you know. so I tell people to like, take a deep breath, separate the kids, whatever, make sure everybody's safe. You need to go and write down every single thing that just happened, who was in the room, what was said, what you said, you know, what the time of day was, whatever, just write all of it down. And that's really important too, because if you've got, if you've got a legitimate issue, just documenting time of day, everything that was that happened. Um, And then also underneath that, Right, how you want to handle this, just like let your amygdala like chill out, let your frontal lobe engage, take a deep breath, and go, okay, now that i'm calmed down how what's the best way for me to handle this and uh this is this is a this is a story, but it's a classic story is a um a mother told me her daughter. She suspected her daughter had been exposed to pornography or potential abuse at dad's house. And then she caught her daughter acting like she was having oral sex with another little girl in the room. And of course the mom, this is like, this confirms all of her worst fears. And she just, she said, she just went red and freaked out and basically caused a second level of trauma. Cause the girl was just acting out potentially something that she had seen. She was like, Emily, you would have been horrified at what I did. I just completely went apeshit. And, um, so that's why I tell people, I'm like, stuff is going to happen. Stuff is going to trigger you. You've got to step away, make sure they're safe and just step away. And sometimes stuff will trigger you. And it was actually nothing, you know, um, People have told me, you know, I caught my daughter with the Barbies, and they're laying the Barbies on each other, and then they bring it up later, and it was they were like, "Oh no, I just set them down that way. I didn't. There wasn't really anything. It was it was her, her preconceived idea, looking looking for evidence that there was some kind of sexual thing going on. So, and I I call it not my wine. You know, our sexuality has been developed after years and years and years, and we've had all these different experiences and all these different things happen to get our own sexuality. Whereas kids are literally grapes on a vine. You know, them pointing out that a dog has a penis or or whatever doesn't mean that they're into bestiality. You know what I mean? They haven't seen, they haven't heard about like all the things that we've heard about and been freaked out about, you know, that's not them they're like little they're just little pieces of fruit you know they're just seeing the world and noticing things and trying things out and like oh this spot feels good and you have weird parts that are different than my parts and it's it's different than the wine if that makes any sense so just everybody take a deep breath
1: <laughs> so so what do you do you know when when you found yourself triggered up and you're in the middle of that moment and maybe reacted a little bit wrong, you know, who reacted kinda of, you had that moment where you lost your shit. hmm Is there a way to go back and and rehash that with a kid to to re reframe that in a way that can be helpful so that you're not you're not leaving it in that place?
0: I think the biggest thing um is to authentically apologize and say, I thought I saw something that was different than what was going on. I overreacted and just authentically apologize. And sometimes if it's appropriate to at like, oh, can we do a rewind? And like literally, I'm okay, now let's do this over. I'm outside the room, you're inside here. I'm gonna open up the door and this is what I'm gonna say. And then you say what you would have liked to have said. And then, you know, kind of carry it out in a different a different way. So kind of recreating the memory in their minds as well of what happened. Um and just saying, wow, I just I got angry and I overreacted and I wasn't acting in the way that I wanted to. I just got scared that I s that something was happening that it, you know, I was afraid for you. Um and I've had, you could even say, maybe I've had things happen in my life that made me afraid that something was happening too. Oh, and I also want to point this out while we're here. A lot of people, especially people who have been sexually abused themselves, want to share their story of sexual abuse with their kids. And it's actually really important not to, because kids, I mean, we have, it's like an energetic umbilical cord. We they can take on our trauma and there are stories of kids who um have have been sexually abused but when the story comes out it was stories of the parent's sexual abuse that had been kind of rehashed because they take that on is this is our communal experience so be very mindful um a lot of times people are like well i want to tell them why and you know i'm really protective of you because of this and that um my recommendation is until they're a lot older just kind of not go into details about what happened to you it's the details part
1: yeah because the numbers what is it the the number one in my in 7 1 and 7 okay i was going to say 1 and 6 but yeah so so yeah i know the numbers are really high percentage of of people out there of parents yep have have had some sort of experience and and where we tend to think about this as an issue for you know for females for women and having been sexually assaulted as kids i honestly can tell you that i think i know of just as many men who had some experience like that as a kid as i do women
0: well today 82,000 men have come forward that they were sexually abused in the boy scouts 82,000 that just me. that just I'm like, how does an organization continue forward? I know they're filing for bankruptcy. I just can't understand that. You know, and with men, it's di- it's different for men. Men will hold on to it for 40, 50 years before they come forward. You know, it, t- it takes until they have grandkids where they're, you know, they realize they they finally get to the point, like two generations of kids where they're seeing. They're like, I, I, if that ever happened to my kids, you know, that's part of why they come forward is like, Oh my gosh, this is, I've got to say something because it, it could have happened to my kids or it did happen to my kids. You know, it's just, just heartbreaking. And I know the statistics, they say it's like one in 20 boys. It's one in 20 boys has come forward. Yes. Right, that's not the
1: unheard numbers.
0: Right. Right. And, um, i was um I was just kind of diving into some research about um pedophiles and specifically pedophiles that work that prefer boys have a higher number so they'll they'll get convicted of two you know people and this is the thing they a a boy had come forward and reported and wasn't believed. And then another one came forward and it wasn't believed, the story wasn't believed. And then another one finally, and then they got a conviction and then they're convicted for two. Where meanwhile, they've had 300, they've abused 300 boys. They do the, um, uh, the lie detector test and come forward with 300 boys. I mean, prolific abuse. That's one abuser.
1: Wow. Absolutely. So it's,
0: it's just, um, I just, I, I mean, I just don't believe the numbers around, um, one in 20. I think it's a lot higher than that. I no, think you're just,
1: right. There seems to be so much shame <clears throat> around it, especially when it comes to boys being abused and.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah. They feel like they're they so, They're They're going to be seen as in a different way. And I mean, oh gosh, there's, there's just, yeah, there's a whole pile of stuff going on there.
1: Well, and then you have the voice that are, you know, my body responded to this. So obviously I liked it.
0: Yeah. Okay. So this is, this is another, this is one of the tools that I like, um, to teach parents. And it's also, um, I mean, it helps with if they're ever, if the kids are ever exposed to pornography or whatever is, um, it's called a mind of its own. And you do this with you just go outside. I always try if you if you're going to have these talks, these heavy talks. And this one isn't particularly heavy, but I like going out into nature, just bringing things out into the light, and it just changes things. Like imagine being like in a house, having these talks versus like out in a grassy field. It's just different. It just takes on a completely different vibe. But you just get like a piece of grass, and you tickle each other's noses or it's like a contest to see who can like not respond the longest like flickering of eyes like runny nose like sneezing goosebumps all of these things and you're like isn't that weird that you're trying so hard for your body not to respond and you can't do it your body just has it's has a body a mind of its own and just that's all you say isn't that weird? Your body just has a mind of its own. And then as as the kids get older, you can have little examples. You know, of, you know, having, you know, an erection. Your body has a mind of its own. And you can introduce that concept obviously when they're older and there's a situation. Go remember how we talked about that? Remember that game we used to play? You don't have control over how your body responds. And if anything ever did happen to the kids, go remember your body has a mind of its own, you know the, the, the sneezing and the goosebumps it doesn't doesn't mean that you want it it just kind of sets a platform for helping um, frame that conversation if they've been exposed to pornography or if they have ever been sexually abused.
1: You know it's funny you mentioned that because Amanda just had a conversation similar to that with our five-year-old the other day. And he says, mommy, that this happens sometimes. Why does this happen? And, you know, we, we talked about it afterwards and she was at that moment a little bit, um, well, what's the best way to handle this, right? Yeah. <laughs> it makes it a yeah, difficult your conversation. Body's
0: responding to what's around it. It's not what you like. It's not always something you have control over. In fact, you don't have, you know, your heartbeats, you know, you breathe when you're sleep, your eyes blink. You get goosebumps. There's all these different, you shiver. It's just different. It's just, it's got a mind of its own.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's that, that's one of those things. And I, I, uh, have Amanda talk about it, but she just realized the time. And in this world of COVID and virtual schooling, in four minutes they're starting a, a class that well, she's like, that yeah, he has to be on. Out.
0: She's like, uh, gotta go. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she didn't run off because I was talking about her, but but that's a real thing, right? Like for a woman to have that conversation with a little boy. It can oftentimes be really difficult to have one just because of all the shame stuff that we've been taught about our bodies and our lives yeah. over history and especially for say a mom who has a history of sexual abuse, who herself was abused as a child or raped as a, as a kid or a teenager or even adult. All those little pieces come in. It makes a really difficult conversation to have, especially when this whole world is, is I mean, we just recently had a national debate where people were talking about whether or not it, you know, uh, pedophilia was, was just like a part of who we were and a piece of society that we should accept. We're in that world. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. It's just, it's absolutely the most insane thing I've ever seen. That really one- freaks me out. Well, again, you know, um, I think it's a re i think it is really important the parents being having a history of sexual abuse and i have um this is a, a little bit of a shameless plug as well, but um it's some work that I'm really proud of is my young wild and safe course, and a lot of the parents who have gone through have their own history i mean also statistically um but they know how important it is is mostly why they're there is they're like, this is real. You know, some parents are like head in the sand. They're like, no way. I don't believe any of that. Then there's the parents who are like, no, this happens. And it's, it's scary and it's difficult to control. Um, But the whole, all of the lessons that I have are lessons that they can use with their kids. And it's, it's addressing these, these really insanely difficult issues very, very slowly. Kind of like with the tickling with the grass without traumatizing the kids and without traumatizing yourself, (laughs) you know, because it's like kids, the talk, the sex talk and all that kind of stuff and, you know, being afraid of strangers I mean, kids have got to learn how to talk to strangers. It's a life skill, you know? Um, And somebody who's been sexually abused, trying to educate their kids about how to not be sexually abused. That's a, that's a big ask, you know, because it's, it's like, how, how could, how can they tell their kids when it's like, how can they, it's like them having to explain um, that they could have prevented it for themselves. You know what I mean? It's, it's a very entangled thing. Um, the tri- like trips, a lot of people up, it, uh, causes a lot of secondary trauma and there's a, there's an easier, way, there's a much easier way to do it <laughs> and don't go at it alone. You know, there's so many of us out here that are doing this and doing this work. There's no reason to not lean heavy on, um, people like me who are, this is what I do all day is figure out like, okay, you have these beliefs about sexuality, but you're trying to teach your kids this. I work with a lot of people in India who have their uncles and their grandfathers who sexually abused them living in the same house in a very conservative, uh, culture. That's one of the biggest challenges I'm dealing with now is how to help the, the women that I'm working with in India.
1: Wow. Yeah. That's, that's a lot. Where would you find your, um, your course, your young Weldon Free course. Uh
0: all of my work is on how to com, And I have a podcast, um, which I have I'm I don't know. I I might be taking a, a little bit of a uh surprise turn on that. Um it's a general parenting podcast, so you can kind of search through there um for different variety of different topics, but it's all about raising kids with work ethic, grit, empathy, and curiosity. And um yeah, I do one-on-one coaching because sometimes you need you've got specific details and you need somebody to really brainstorm how am, how am I gonna how am I gonna handle this? You know, it's a difficult situation and um yeah. So that how to raise dot com. Excellent, and
1: excellent.
0: A- Emily Uh, how to raise a maverick.com is my um my email address so just reach out directly
1: good deal yeah i'll make sure all that's all noted in the show notes so people can reach it um if you're on if you're an apple user sometimes our show notes are a little bit weird and wonky so if you just click the button to go to the website there'll be a show notes page there and all those links will work
0: yeah my instagram and facebook i'm on instagram more than facebook these days Instagram's just got a little bit more of a positive vibe.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As
0: we all know. <laughs> a,
1: a little bit less, uh, a little bit fewer political ads in there too, I've noticed. But we, I like to stay away from politics because, well, it doesn't serve me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, was, um, I was censored from Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest for a significant period of time because my work was tagged as being a, a social cause. So I wasn't allowed to advertise. I wasn't allowed to post. Um, everything was being censored that I put out for a long time. And I was like, you know what? It changed my views on censorship.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Time. It-
0: when you yourself are censored, your views of sem- censorship change very quickly.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. Because I'm not certain it's not a social cause, but a positive social cause as um it's a pretty important yeah, thing. But to keep Positive. Out there. It
0: depends on, like, if you're a pedophile. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not a positive cause.
1: Yeah, that's well, <laughs> that's all I
0: have to say about that.
1: I think it's probably you know an okay thing to be to be um, not to be not considered a um, a positive cause for pedophiles.
0: Right. <laughs> that's that's a, <laughs> But that's what I realized. I was like, if we if we can censor, um, then we can censor what I would consider a really important, very clear cut, like I'm hoping everybody's on board that we shouldn't be sexually abusing kids.
1: Uh, My God, I hope so. I hope so. (laughs) Well, I I did have one other question. You know, we deal with a lot of kids who maybe have had some of that experience. And as far as as kids go, as a foster parent, even as an adoptive parent, as a parent in general, our job is not always... uh, No. I'm going to say this a little bit stronger. Our job is not to fix our kids. Right. We're not skilled enough for that. We're just not. That's not our job. But I believe that what our job really is, is to create environment and create. Yeah. Say that again. I believe what our job is, is to create an environment where healing can begin. How would you go about beginning to create that environment? What makes an environment safe enough and uh, a place where a person can heal after that kind of trauma?
0: Well, one of the biggest mistakes that's made is when a child is sexually abused, especially if they were really young, there's an assumption that if we don't talk about it, they won't remember. And the body never forgets. The body doesn't forget, even if the child was very, very young. So not bringing it up, you know, assuming that if you don't talk about it, it's not going to be. It's just going to go away is, I would say, one of the worst things. So allowing an environment where um, you continue to recognize that something happened and allowing them to talk about it instead of shutting it down. Um, And also creating a space where they can, you know, a little bit of art therapy, if you will, if they're drawing pictures that are sexually explicit, they are working things out. You know, they, they're trying to process. It's it's you know, um, uh, if anybody has been watched a play therapy session, the reason play or how ther- play therapy works is the kids have got this stuff floating around in their head and they don't know what to do with it, and they act it. Act, they can't help but act it out, and that is how they take it out of their body and their mind and put it into a physical place. So being very mindful of that is part of their healing process. If they're drawing naughty pictures, naughty pictures, um, just talk, talk with them and allow them to do that. Like this is, this is okay. These are private pictures. These are your private pictures. Okay. Not for them to share with other kids. It's not funny. It's, you know, we're not gonna go spray paint penises on the walls or whatever. Um, but these are these are your private photos. There are not photos, but um images. The thing, you know, the private photos, I'm gonna tell you why that popped up in my mind. There's a a book called Good Pictures, Bad Pictures that is I it's one of the few books that helps acknowledge the fact that there's stuff online that's not okay for kids to see. They have uh, good kids, bad kids, junior, and then another one for the older kids. And um, I'm in conflict with it because it says it's they're bad pictures. So if a kid, kids have a, a real divided. Either things are good or they're bad. If I'm watching, if I see something that's bad, and I like something that's bad, I am bad. So just these are private, private pictures. If they see pornography or something like that, that's not bad stuff it's private stuff. Private pictures aren't good for us to watch like that. They go against our body safety rules or good touch, bad touch. There's private touch, um, versus bad touch. I don't know if I was using that language, but it's just something I'm becoming more aware of with, um, being trauma informed around that, not to, not to make them feel bad because they already have such, uh, self-doubting feelings and self-hatred because of the abuse
1: i love the idea of taking the judgment out of the words yeah it allows us to be able to talk through it and then actually deal with it especially when it happened at a young age
0: yeah because it's like, like yeah saying bad words versus i mean i i can even imagine like if somebody uses you know saying i guess they would use potty words But those are dubbed as like bad words at school, saying bad words at school, you know. Um, Yeah, they're just private. And let them work through it. Let them say stuff, you know. Um, Let them come to you. It's hard sometimes to hear this stuff. (laughs) You're like, oh, gosh, I really don't want to hear it. But they need to get it out. Yeah, That's why therapy is so awesome.
1: I've I've had people give me their story in the past. And I don't know why because it's a podcast. You can't see my face. If you find a picture of me anywhere online, I do not look like the kind and gentle soul that people would want to come bare their souls to. I don't think. I no, mean, no, you do. The my beard is is much shorter than it normally is. It I had a little bit of a trimming incident happen recently that where An incident. Yeah,
0: <laughs> there's a story. <laughs> yeah.
1: Well, well, I, I said take the sides, take some off the sides, and and the guy heard bottom. I think. Um, oh, you're like. But no. Yeah, I've that for years. <laughs> that's okay. It'll it'll come back. I'm certain, but um, but uh, I've had people give me stories, deep stories about painful traumas in past, and and I get that from people, and I'm not certain why. I haven't figured that out yet. But they'll tell you those stories, and they are hard to listen to. Yeah, I mean, it it's genuinely difficult to hear someone give you a story about rape, molestation, um, you know, all kinds of abuse. It's just something that, you know, especially if if you are a foster care provider, you may come up against. And yeah, sometimes and that's really challenging.
0: That I'm, again, with the trauma informed, I, I'm becoming more and more aware of. I have a bandwidth like a mile wide to hear this stuff, which is why I do what I do. Some people are like, how can you do this? And that's one of my weird gifts is some people have a narrow bandwidth, they call it like a green zone. And if, if somebody hears something and they are not within their green zone, they can actually experience, it's called secondary trauma. And they take that trauma on of that person and it's real. It's, it's real. So you have to, you know, as a, as a caregiver, really be mindful yourself of what your, your green zone is and step away or hand it off to a therapist or something, you know, because it's it'll set into your bones, you know, and it's hard it's hard to shift it. Cause there's no way to solve somebody else's trauma that you've taken on yourself. You know, that's really hard to work through.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I really appreciate all the wisdom you've come here to bring our audience today. And I can only hope that the people who need to hear this will reach out to you. If you're a parent who's looking for some help on this stuff. You know how to raise a maverick dot com. That's where you're going to find Emily at the podcast, the course, the young wild and safe course, all of that. That's that's all stuff that I think is really, really needed and really underrepresented. Um, you know, in the uh, in the demand that that we have out there, the demand is is high, and there's not a whole lot of supply. No. So no. So yeah, go go check Emily out, find her stuff, send her an email, it's emily at com, and get you some of this information, man, because we got kids who have experienced a lot of trauma and we can do a whole lot to help them through it and we can do a whole lot to help prevent it. Amen. well i appreciate you coming on here today emily and i hope we can uh maybe find find a way to uh to move this cause of yours forward because it's it needs to be done
0: all right let's do it
1: thank you for listening to emily's story today i hope you gained some wisdom and knowledge that you can take to your home and your family be sure and come back next week we put up new episodes every tuesday if you'd like to share your story as a guest on our show, reach out to us at fostercareuj at gmail.com. If you'd like to join up with some like-minded people, you can find us at facebook.com slash groups fostercareuj. And don't forget, we have a Patreon account. If you'd like to support our mission with a couple dollars a month, you can do it at patreon.com slash fostercarenation. And as always...
0: I thank you guys so cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah! Thank you for